So thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the Work Hard to Tire Early podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Hathaway. And today we are sitting down with Ronnie Tasia. Ronnie is an e-commerce entrepreneur with experience in a wide range of countries, products, and markets. A true success story, starting from nothing and getting up to the very impressive point he is at today. So how are you today, Ronnie? Oh, very well. Thanks for having me on, Joseph. I really appreciate it. Of course. We really appreciate you coming on. So I gave you a quick, brief bio there. Anything else you can tell us about yourself and your work? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so my name is Ronnie Teja. I was uh, born born in India and in, uh, in Mumbai. Uh, lived there till uh, I was an adult. Uh, I like to call myself a failed uh, PhD because I actually did not complete my thesis. Uh, so I went to the London School of Economics to study a, uh, poverty economics of all the things. So I'm a, so I'm a poverty eco- economist. Uh, if I were to name, a, you know, if I, if I have an education in something, a failed poverty uh, economist turned, uh, turned capitalist, which is exactly the opposite end of the spectrum. And uh, I'm an adult immigrant to Canada. So my family uh, won the golden ticket to land in Canada when I was about 23, 24. And uh, given given uh, our situation, uh, my first job in Canada was actually going to pick blueberries in a and at a farm, <laughs> which I uh, basically like manual labor, which I had never done before in my life, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so today uh, I run a portfolio of about 15 different websites, uh, very focused on e- e- e-commerce and uh, in various niches, uh, IT consulting uh, being one, uh, watches and men's fashion accessories being another, and an e-commerce consultant agency. Uh, so. So all in all, uh, we do upwards of uh, mid mid to high figures in revenue and sales. Uh, and I have a team of about 45 plus remote employees uh, based all over the world. Which is, I mean, insane. You know, you have these e-commerce sites outside of, you know, the giant of Amazon. You're still making eight figures, which is a quite decent sum of money. Yeah, but I don't know about that, man. It's like I've, I've been lucky throughout my journey. Yeah, but I don't really focus. Uh, we, we made a choice an informed choice from the beginning not to go on amazon simply because amazon uh when you get on amazon it's basically a race to the bottom right and when it becomes a race to the bottom you're never going to be able to beat the chinese to it because everything as you know is made in china the only thing that i think where uh, the u.s does get competitive and if you're an american seller and we can be competitive is a supplements market because most of the world supplements are made in the u.s so but still it's still a race to the bottom right Oh, yeah, no, definitely so. And I think we see that in any crowded market. I do a lot of freelancing on the side. And it's exactly like you said, a race to the bottom. So do you focus more on, you know, starting your own e-commerce sites or do you prefer to establish acquired brands? Mm, so when I started, uh, my story is kind of like, uh, so I was lucky in my first e-commerce venture, right? Uh, when I started, uh, I, I, I'd worked for a few different companies. I'd worked for Best Buy, I'd worked for HSBC, I'd worked for an ad agency in Australia. And I, and at, at a certain point of time, you know, when I turned 30, I said, hey, you know, I'm kind of sick of making other people money. And my reality check was, I was going to go get a job at uh, Mech, uh, which is, uh, you know, let's like an outdoor, uh, outdoor sports store. Something like uh, 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 REW, I don't know what you have in the States, but something similar to that, like where you go and you buy like, you know, skiing equipment and bicycles and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I said, okay, I'm turning 30, I'm going to go to Japan, spend a couple of weeks there, did my interview there, uh, did my interview before I left for Japan. And when I came back from Japan, I was expecting to have a job. 
So of course, you know, being me, I had a nice, fun, fun trip, and I said, okay, I'll come back to a job most likely because I was really confident in my qualifications there. But I didn't get the job, so you know, I, I said, hey, look, interested in feedback. What's the reason I didn't get the job? And their feedback to me was quite simple. They said, look, we consider you to be a flight risk, and I said, what does that mean? And they said, look, you have a habit of changing jobs every two years. And I said, okay, I work in digital marketing, so to to learn more in digital marketing, you you go, you you basically, you know, you have to go to places that challenge you more. Like, for example, I went from HSBC to Best Buy because I was challenged a lot more. Uh, so instead of like looking at, you know, instead of looking at it as, at it as like, hey, maybe I, I should be keeping this guy around or give, give this person more challenging work so that they stick around longer, they literally just blamed it on a prospective employee saying, hey, you know, you basically, you basically, are a flight risk because you take jobs every two years. So it's kind of like interesting, like of, of how I look at employees as an entrepreneur today versus how, uh, you know, your enterprise companies look at employees. So I said, all right, you know what, screw this. I'm going to start, I'm going to uh, start my own company. Uh, got into, uh, I'd read somewhere off the top of my head, you know, I, I, I'd flipped, I was flipping through this magazine on this flight back from Japan to Vancouver and I said, all right, opened a magazine, looked at the margins on how much watches make. So apparently back then you could make about three, you know, a, a sizable amount of margins on watches. And I said, all right, I'm going to get into making watches. Not knowing anything about making watches. I'm not a watch aficionado, just, just an FII. I'm still, I still don't know much about watches. There's a lot of people I work with who know a lot more about watches than I do, right? And uh, at, at, at a certain juncture, I said, where are we going to end up going? We're going to end up going to China to get these molds made. So before I, I took the tried and tested step, went through Ali, Alibaba, tried to get all the molds made, you know, molds were taking about a month or something. And just when we were about to launch the watch and design and everything else about three months in, turns out somebody in Vancouver had a Kickstarter project <laughs> whom I didn't know about, who literally had the same watch with the same logo. And I'm not even making this up. If I could make this up with the, you know, it's something out of book, basically. So it's three months of hard work, basically gone down the drain. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is it. It's ended. I said, my, my glorious entrepreneurial venture, which I've invested three months into, has gone down the drain. Anyway, long story short, turns out I ended up going uh, to Hong Kong, which is where the world's largest watch uh, and wall clock manufacturing fair is. Met with the people there. Uh, met my went through every damn booth every damn day. Talked to talk. I must have talked to about 300, 400 different watch manufacturers, and some of them are trading companies posing as my watch manufacturers. So you have to be very careful about differentiating between the two. And I didn't know it back then. Uh, ended up going to Shenzhen. Met my now watch manufacturing uh, uh, partner of the I, I guess factory. They've, they've been my partners for the last seven years, um, and you know worked with them. And the true, lo and behold, you know, the watch, the watch, and what they did to their credit was they extended me a three month line of credit, right? Because of which I was able to be successful today. Along the way, what I've done is we have acquired websites, but we just focused on one website. For the first three years, we just focused on growing one website only. And then we said, okay, it's, you know, we focused on the US market, said, okay, let's just expand in this market. Then we went to Canada, then we went to UK, then we went to Australia. And then we said, hey, wait a second, where is the chance of expansion here? Do we start working on just spending ourselves silly in the market? Or do we actually start looking at competitors that we can acquire in terms of affiliates and everything else? 
So we chose the route of actually acquiring affiliates because that turned out to be a better sort of strategy long run. So what we said was, is there a way that we could part of it so the affiliate sites, buy them out, and in the long run, pay, pay them off uh, a sort of a, you know, like an earn out period. So which is basically like using the, the, the affiliate's own money to pay them out in the next three years, which is what most people wanted because of the short, they wanted the short term money up front which worked out for us in the long run. So that's how we got to about 15 different websites. Quite the story you got there. And yeah, sorry, it's a bit long-winded. Oh, no, 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 that, no need to apologize. That is what we are here for. And I definitely learned a lot of uh, new facts, like uh, never knew there was a huge watch convention in Hong Kong. That was news to me. Yeah, and the, and the flight from Vancouver to Hong Kong is 500 bucks, economy class, cheap and cheerful. This is when travel was open, by the way. Making notes to all of our listeners. Make sure to write that one down. If you ever go into Hong Kong, fly from Vancouver. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I got to ask, you know, you talked about toward the end, you started acquiring some of your competitor sites and the method you've gone through with that. Uh, how did you, you know, know which ones to acquire? If you're looking at a site, how do you know do you, whether you want to acquire it or if it's just not worth your time? Well, usually what we do is we end up working with this affiliate, site, affiliate sites as an advertiser. Right, So we actually look at what affiliate sites are driving the most amount of revenue for us. And once we know which ones are the ones right up in our uh, sort of alley in terms of a niche. So for example, if we were to acquire an affiliate site that's only driving 20 conversions a day, we're like, oh, okay, maybe not, right? But if they're running 50 conversions a day, we kind of look at the risk portfolio and we say, okay, is there a way uh, that we can uh, that we can actually increase the the like like this site this site ranks okay but if we were to do some google through and like try and uh, add more content to it and it and we can sort of change we can flip it around to uh, you know in its rankings from you know ranking four to seven we can rank it from one to three on organic google organic search and the which would increase our conversions to about 100 from 50 to 100 then of course we'd go acquire that site because the ones that are getting us 100 200 conversions they're not going to sell they know the value Right, so we're going for that mid-market segment, which is basically people who are getting us about thirty to sixty sales uh, a day or a week, and then we have a look at those websites. And we actually like most of the owners of these websites. I've talked to, I meet them at conventions, I talk to them, I just chat with them. So whenever they, they or, or if they ever decide, hey, look, I, I, I want to exit my business, I want to sell, I want to retire, or some family emergencies come up, they always know my doors always open for a chat. So that's the other way of how we work with them. I love that. You know, you have the inside channel that you talked about. And of course, we all, every guest I've had on here, it always goes back to networking somewhere. No, no matter the industry. Yeah. I don't know if I'm a man of the industry, but yeah, I mean, it, there was, there was a time in my life I'd be, I'd be, I'd be out, uh, I'd be, I'd be out networking quite a lot. So what that essentially means for me, right. Uh, is that I, 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 I try and, make myself known to people, not by being the loudest person in the room, but, but, but having like value added chats with each and every person who I meet with them for the first time. Uh, there was a time that I was loud. I'll say that. Yes. But uh, I think I'm a bit more somber now since I don't drink. So I'm a teetotaler now in my life. Uh, and I think that sort of has helped calm me down. And I think that the conversations I have with people are far more different rather than just have a chat. I mean, most of the people that I used to talk about four years ago, most of the people I talk to today don't know what I do exactly. It's just, we're just, we're just friends. And, and, and after a certain point, it's just like, you're too scared to ask what the other person does. <laughs> Definitely hear you there. And I mean, 
I, I guess, you know, just moving on to that a little bit on on topic, off topic, you know, what does a day in the life of a fully remote entrepreneur look like? Yeah, uh, a day. So, so my day is a lot more different than what, what you read in the books, right? A lot of the stuff you read in the Elon Musk books of the world, everything else is, you know, wake up, hustle, work 80 hours a week, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I live in Bangkok, Thailand, right? Uh, I have been through my 60 to 70 hour weeks, right? Uh, to curb to curb that uh, the the stress the entrepreneurial stress or whatever um I, I was drinking a lot uh, which wasn't really healthy right uh, instead today I've chosen uh, to have a remote team of 45 to 50 employees all around the world and the best place where I can manage them from given the times and differences is Bangkok right first choice second choice uh, I focus more on a lifestyle lifestyle sort of a choice, which was like, I realized that I'm not, I don't want to be a billionaire. I don't want to be this guy. And I said, I'm okay making what I'm making plus having some money set aside for retirement uh, after 50, 55. I mean, it's not going to be 50, 55 because I intend to work till I'm 90. I don't really care. I need purpose. Um, and, you know, my, my day essentially is I wake up at 5.30. I work for a couple of hours. I, you know, I go, I'm a, I'm a big cyclist. So I'll go for like a 50 kilometer ride or something, uh, or I'll go to the gym for an hour, hour and a half. Uh, for, and then I'll just, you know, after that work another couple of hours, have my lunch. Uh, so I just break my day down. I'll work like eight, eight, nine hours, but it's just about how I break my day down. I don't work eight hours in one single go. It's like two hours exercise, you know, two hours, lunch, coffee, two hours, you know, exercise again or go to some sightseeing and or meet up with somebody and then come at the night, my time, and then, you know, have a couple more hours of calls. So it's still like two, 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 it's eight hours in the day, but it's just like how you divide it is all up to you. And, you know, the, the luxury of time and give myself that flexibility of working at different hours has been extremely helpful in terms of, you know, curbing my stress, curbing my anxiety, uh, probably along the way, you know, becoming a, a teetotaler. Uh, that sort of journey has been pretty helpful and focusing on my health, mental and physical. And I love that, you know, that talk about time freedom, because that's a lot of what I try to talk about in this show is, you know, you're always chasing that time freedom, whether it be early retirement or in your case, work till you're 90. It's just finding that state and how it works for you to best help your own mental. Yeah, for sure. I think it's one of those things that not a lot of people pay attention to, right? Not a lot of people pay people pay attention to the to the fact that uh, you know that time is one of those things that the more you can give back to yourself, the more like you can get to enjoy a, a different thing. So, so for me, time basically means spending it at the gym or spending it with my loved ones, my partner, uh, or anything else. So it's just it's just been like helpful to have that, my eyes open to that to that whole new phase. Definitely hear you on that one. And uh, moving back into, you know, your, your business and for the last couple of questions I've got here. So, you know, you said you run a team of 45 to 50 internationally. Now, when did you know, uh, when did you know that it was time to start hiring and like, did that promote or not promote, excuse me, present any, you kind of, you know, unique challenges as a remote entrepreneur? Uh, Look, uh, I'll be the first person to admit that I'm not the very best at hiring. Right. For the longest time, I, I would just be like, oh, OK, you know, you're done. You're doing a good job, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, take this bonus or take take so and so. I trust you with it. Right. 
But that's not how exactly it works. You need to look for a certain skill set. You need to have a certain culture. And my culture initially, for lack of a better word, was like it was very bro culture. It was like I was trying to have in my company all the books that I had read. And all these books that you're reading about tech, tech entrepreneurs and the tech bros are not necessarily the kind of culture you want in your organization, right? You don't want to reading the hard thing about hard things or, you know, Elon Musk's book or this. I mean, look, what's worked for them at a certain point of time in their entrepreneurial journey may not be fit fit for your company today, especially if it's a remote company, right? Um, so everything uh, is, a, is a learning process and an involving process. So I've evolved from being a super micromanager, you know, all uh, being very accessible to everybody to being somebody who's not as accessible as they used to be five years ago and probably uh, a lot more uh, lenient in terms of giving people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I had I had to hire HR. Like there is a proper HR recruitment strategy in place, and it's their job to go and recruit the best talent we have. And once we were to hire these people, that's the only way it's actually worked out. So yeah, gotcha on that. And you know, definitely all part of the journey and growing the brand, getting those people and getting the right people in in the right places. Yeah, exactly. So once you have like a like a management team in place, so my whole team came about when we had the right management team in place. Once we have like four managers in place, that's when I feel I felt like my team could actually uh, uh, become much larger. So uh, that's where we actually started expanding. Yeah, again, definitely got you on that one. You know, and, and you know, curiosity on this: if someone one of our listeners were looking to start their own e-commerce brand today. What would you recommend they look at? How do you find source products? And even there's a hundred different hosting sites out there, Shopify, Etsy, Amazon, you name it. Yeah. I mean, look, the, 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 the lowest hanging fruit is just go Shopify, right? Like you have your backend in Shopify. If you don't know what product to test, Shopify has a bunch of drop shipping options, test out your product on that. Start on that. Even a kid could, like, you know, uh, could be using Shopify for dropshipping. So try that out first. See how you like it. Just don't jump into it uh, thinking that you're going to be successful in Brene One. It takes about three or four tries till the time you get it. I mean, for me, I, I think in the first three months of my job, I was burnt out as an entrepreneur. I literally burnt myself out because I was waking up at, I think, 4 a.m. and going to bed at, like, you know, 12 midnight. So I was getting four hours of rest. I put on about 25 kilos which is about 50 pounds, trust me. So you don't want that happening. You know, enjoy your life a little bit. It's a journey. <laughs> don't burn yourself out. It's a marathon. Amen to that. It is definitely a marathon. Or, yeah, a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, uh, and I've, and, and I'm, I, but, you know, knowing my personality, I, I'm sure a lot of people are like that extremes. And especially like the way the culture teaches us everything, uh, be it Canada, be it the US, be it wherever, is that everybody, everything is taught to be a sprint, right? It's taught to be like that fast, move fast, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, move fast, you know, break things, uh, you know, your hit cardio workout, your CrossFit, everything is 45 minutes, spin class, 45 minutes. Like what about like, you know, just going for a jog in the park or for 10 kilometers and enjoying that bloody jog, man. When's the last time we got to do that? <laughs> I think for a lot of people, like you said, that personal time has been heavily ignored and it's all about yeah. getting it back. <laughs> Exactly. It's about getting to know yourself a little better along that journey as well. So just for my uh, last couple of questions today, where can we find you online? Well, you can, you can reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn. 
you can just add me on LinkedIn, Ronnie Teja, or you can, uh, yeah, that's that's usually the most professional place that I would like to get with you. Or if you have any questions, you can email me directly. My email is Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E, at Brandzio, B-R-A-N-Z-I-O.com. And I'll make sure to link both of those down in the show notes. Yeah, and the website that I run is called Brandzio, B-R-A-N-Z-I-O.com. That's my watch company. I'll link that as well. So, Thank you, uh, sir. So I was going to ask you, so what's next for Ronnie? Where, where do you see yourself going in the next few months, couple well, years? Well, Mel, I'd, I'd be happy if I could get through get through the next few months here, man. I'm, I'm expected to go see my partner in Australia uh, in the next two weeks because Australia just opened up for tourism. So I get to see her after a couple of months. And then, and then from there on to Vancouver, <laughs> then Norfolk, Virginia. Then, then uh, at, at some conferences, then Dubai, and then hopefully I get to settle in a little bit. But yeah, that's my next two, uh, next two months. I'd be happy to get through that as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, busy schedule, definitely, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I always think, you know, one-year, five-year plan because everybody says that, right? So I, I, I honestly, and, it, and what, it, what happened to me with that was it gave me a lot of anxiety. So my, my only sort of, uh, what I would suggest in that scenario would be is like, don't go for that one year, five year, 10 year plan. I mean, work to a three to six month plan. And if I work to a three to six month plan, if I know what's coming down the line, these are the variables that I can change. A one year to five year variable, I don't know. I mean, if you had a one year, five year plan and then COVID hit, imagine what happened to all those guys, how frustrated and anxious they got. So I, I usually go by a three to six month plan and I just focus on that. Great advice. And well, thank you very much for coming on the show today, Ronnie. We really enjoyed having you. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it.